Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Say What Again Billy Podcast. I am enjoying today very much so. It is a 48 degree day in New York City. And to some that's cold, but to New Yorkers, if you're accustomed to bad winters, any day that it's 48 degrees and the sun is shining, it's a good day. We have had some crazy weather here in New York City. It seems like it's snowing every other week or every week. We're getting hit with like 3 to 10 inches, 5 to 10, 5 to 12. So it's just today is a great day. The sun is out. The snow is melting. Check the 10-day forecast and it looks like we're going to have some 45-degree weather days and better. There's no snow in the forecast. There's no 32 degrees. So it's just feeling like a really good day and that there's hope that spring is coming quickly. The last few days, I've actually been venturing off to my paranormal research um, on other outlets, and I have been going on YouTube. Now, usually my routine at night is at the end of the night, I go into the room where I sleep at night, and I turn on Travel Channel. Once in a while, I'm in my man cave, and I turn on Discovery Plus because I have a smart TV in there, and I have the app downloaded on it, and I'll go through some shows that I missed, like Paranormal Caught on Tape. And recently I got into a YouTube kick and I had a recommended video to watch somehow, some way. YouTube found a video that I was interested in. And I really don't research too much paranormal on YouTube because YouTube is a place where there's a lot of videos that are hoaxed. You know, a lot of people have the technology and the means nowadays to put videos out there and try to convince people that it's real. A lot of people are tech savvy. A lot of people are good with their editing skills. I can crop a picture and put a friend's face on another person's body very good and I can do it from my phone. So I don't really think a lot of videos on YouTube are reputable. So I chose not to look at YouTube in the past few years because it's just unreliable. But I had a recommended video pop up from a group that's correlated or associated with Texas because a lot of their videos are investigations from Texas. So I'm assuming their group is based in Texas. And this one particular video was actually of a trail guide from Arizona. Now, if you know your geography, Texas isn't really too far from Arizona. But anyways, the trail guide was talking to this paranormal group, which the paranormal group is actually called the Paranormal Files. I would recommend you give their YouTube page a look-see because it's actually got some good material on there. It's not bogus. I've looked through a lot of their stuff. They're a young paranormal investigation group, and they had a episode on their YouTube page with a travel guide for Superstition Mountains. Um... And I looked at it and I was pretty intrigued by the story because I really didn't know too much about Superstition Mountains. And I watched basically the 30-minute mini documentary where this trail guy, I think his name was Corey. Uh, If you guys find their page on YouTube, you can watch this video. And he was explaining stuff about Superstition Mountain. I did some more digging through YouTube and came across another gentleman by the name of John Allen. And he goes by John Ballin or Ballin. I'm going to butcher names and some pronunciations in this episode, so just bear with me. But John Ballin is a former Navy SEAL. I believe he gave a little bit of his backstory. And his backstory is that he was medically discharged. So that's, you know, um, something happened to him 
on a mission or training or what have you. And he went back home and he got into basically odd stories, paranormal stories, and he was on TikTok. And TikTok, he would give like these stories, which only TikTok has 60 seconds to do a video. And it became very popular. And uh, he eventually wanted to go and tell more stories with longer time limits. So he made his way over to YouTube. And I found his page by mistake, as many people did, uh, judging by the comments. And he tells these uh, stories of like survival, places where people cheated death. But he also goes into some paranormal stuff. And he had a episode about Kandahar Mountains in Afghanistan. And he gave a brief description of what it was like going to Afghanistan as a Navy SEAL and what it's like over there. But he told a story on one of his videos that I found very interesting. And it gave me an idea for this week's episode to do a episode titled Paranormal Terrain. Now, in Paranormal, we're just not focused on haunted houses or UFOs or cryptids. Now, cryptids do live in terrain, right? Forests, we have like Bigfoot, roams the North American region in the forests and the mountain areas. We have uh, Champ, the basically the Loch Ness Monster of the United States that's in Lake Champlain, which is in a lake. Um, and we have like the Mothman who is on the East Coast, that has been sighted on the East Coast and the Jersey Devil in Jersey. So terrain plays a factor in the paranormal. So I wanted to do an episode with the ideas that I've gotten from these two pages on YouTube about an episode focused on paranormal terrain. Um, So that's where I got this idea for this episode from these two YouTube outlets, which out of all the research and YouTube viewing I have done this week, it seems to be that these two pages that I came across, John Ballin and Paranormal Files, um, are very good, reputable pages. Some of the stories on John Ballin's page are very, uh, you, you can't, you don't believe it, but according to him and his research, they are true. And the thing about John Ballin that I really, really enjoy about his page is that he tells stories and it's not really his experiences, but it's more or less stories that he's researched and he's retelling. And he does an excellent, excellent job telling these stories. You, He says the story in such a way where you are actually picturing yourself in these scenarios and you can actually see as he, as you're listening to him what's going on. And I watched a few of his videos this week, but again, the one that caught my interest was the... Uh, Kandaharn Mountains in Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Um, but I will start with the Paranormal Files YouTube page and the idea I got from them, which was a 30-minute clip on their page about Superstition Mountains. So the clip had a, a tra- uh, trail person that runs trails there. You know, you can sign up to go on a trail, and this person is the expert of that area, and he takes groups through the Superstition Mountain area. And he gave a history of the area and this particular trail guide, that's what it's called, the correct name, trail guide, he uh, is also into the paranormal. And uh, he went to this, this whole explanation of what went on there historically um, and what paranormal activities happen uh, at Superstition Mountains. So I wanted to give you guys a little bit of the info of Superstition Mountains. One legend from travelandleisure.com 
in the early 1800s, the Apache land believed the land was the Apaches believed the land was inhabited by dangerous spirits. Around this time, gold and copper was discovered near the area, which led people to storm and battle between the Apaches for their land to do the digging of the copper and gold. Jacob Waltz, a Dutchman, despite warnings, headed to that area and started mining. He would sneak through the area of the mountains to find the copper and the gold and became rich. Some people began to follow him to the spots where he was mining. He was able to lose the people when they were following him, and those people that trailed him ended up eventually never seen again or getting lost. To this day, people do not know where his mining location was or if he was even there doing just that. Now, this is, again, from Travel and Leisure. I paraphrased a little bit there, but I did some research. So there's actually a couple of tales to Superstition Mountain. Um, that's one of them, that this Dutchman came along. Uh, he actually got wind of the copper and gold a little late and went over there. Now, in the earlier times, when Native Americans had their land without us coming and basically taking it from them, because, you know, in essence, that's what happened, they were protective of their land. And there was a lot of battles between the Apaches and people coming there to try to mine gold and mine copper. You know, it's their land. It was sacred to them. But the Apaches also believed that land was um, haunted with spirits or evil spirits. And when these people went to mine, there was a lot of debts. The Apaches, you know, obviously killed, didn't take kindly to people in their land and killed a lot of people that were trying to mine there. But I think with fair warning at first, you know, there was warnings, you know, the Native American people... Uh, the Apaches, the Algonquins, um, these Native Americans wouldn't just kill. Like, they would give fair warning. And that's what was happening at Superstition Mountains with the copper and gold. And uh, this Dutchman, it's a, it's a legend. It's I don't think it's actually documented, but he did try to go and mine gold and copper in this area. Um, the other story, because there's a few stories about this area, is that the Peraltas, a wealthy Mexican family came to the mine over there to go uh, to mine gold and uh, find gold and copper in that area. They were massacred by the Apaches because they did not like what the Peraltas were doing to the land. Don Miguel Peralta was the leader to the mining uh, expeditions that were going on there. It is said that he hid the location of the gold and only one member of the Peraltas made it back to Mexico. Um, so this is actually something that I'm going to read to you from grunge.com. As is true of nearly any sufficiently old and popular legend, there are many variations on the tale of the Lost Dutchman Mine, but a complete version start with the Peralta family. According to AZ Central, Arizona Central, the Peraltas were a wealthy Mexican family led by a, a man named by Don Miguel Peralta, who operated several mines in the area of Superstition Mountains. In contrast to writer Jen Wolf says, the Peraltas were cattle ranchers. At any rate, tales agree that Peraltas somehow came across a large deposit of gold in Superstition Mountains. That's the good news. The bad news is they were all massacred. Again, there are plenty of versions of this story, but the key detail is that the group of Apaches killed all the Peraltas but one, Maybe it was because they didn't like the way the miners were treating the land sacred to them. Maybe they wanted the gold for themselves. Maybe they felt possessive about the mine and the treasures. Or maybe it was just one of those run-in-the-mill, no-reason massacres that white people think happened all the time, apparently. At any rate, the Peraltas massacred a major element of the story. 
commemorated by place names such as Massacre Falls. So basically an area of Arizona where the uh, massive death and massacre happened, they named a place over there Massacre Falls. In one version of the story, it was a different family who was killed while the Peraltas made off with a fortune while hiding all the trace of the mines. So that's from grunge.com, basically repeating what I had told you in a nutshell. Um, There are stories now, when you do find this YouTube video, um, Paranormal Files on YouTube, this trail guide goes into telling what I just touched on, but also there are tales of people to this day going to Superstition Mountain in the area and going missing, seeing weird animal-like cryptid animals. Um, Skinwalkers are a thing for the Native Americans. Uh, I spoke about the skinwalkers on an episode already. There was a lady that had found her way into a a cave around Superstition Mountain, and she said when she had walked in there, the uh, creature, there was a creature in there that looked at her and came out and it was a lizard creature that was basically bipedal and it walked out and she basically took off that she had seen that. Um, There are stories, if you find this video again on Paranormal Files, of portals. Now, portals is something that Native Americans believe highly in and we actually hear about portals in other civilizations as well. Um, Puma Punku, I spoke about that. There are legends of gateways that were built, perfect stone gateway arches, and no one has any idea why they were built like that because it seems to have been an entrance, but the stone um, architecture is just standing with nothing around it. So people believed that it was actually a, a door a, a door to another side or a portal, um, something like a, almost like Stargate, if you are familiar with that sci-fi channel show. Uh, there's also reports that this guy uh, was saying on their documentary, this trail guy, his name was Corey, again, that a man came across a portal one day and he kept seeing it and he didn't really have the guts to go in it, nor would I if I had seen something like that. Eventually, he said that this man was going to take uh, an animal like a chicken and tie a rope around the chicken and throw the chicken into the portal to see if the chicken comes back out in one piece. He had already previous tried throwing stones in the portal, but the stones would like vanish and they would just go into the portal apparently when it opened up and not come back out. Obviously, you're throwing stones. Stones don't have legs. So he came up with this idea that he was going to take a chicken when this portal opened up near Superstition Mountain and throw the chicken in on the rope and pull it back out. If the chicken came out of the portal in one piece, he was going to go and take the chance in doing it. But unfortunately, when he went back to that location, the area um, where it was, it was gone. It never opened back up. So he actually missed his chance. Another thing with Superstition Mountains, this eerie terrain, is that um, in the area of actually Phoenix, Arizona, in March of 1997, there was a widespread report of triangle-shaped lights over Nevada, Phoenix, Arizona, between 1930 hours and 2230 hours, which is army time for 730 and 1030. The triangle shapes had a triangle shaped formation and the lights were reported uh, massively around the areas. Some of the formation was a large, as large as a football field. The military said that it was an exercise of some sort of common government exercise fashion. Um, Obviously, it wasn't announced. 
and they blamed the widespread reports of these lights over Phoenix, Arizona on basically a military exercise. So that's actually something very common the government does when there's widespread reports. You know, there's a lot of um, conspiracies where if a few people see something, you're not going to believe them. You know, you're going to say, yeah, they're crazy. They didn't see that. That's there's no way, you know, like some people believe I'm crazy for doing this podcast and talking about what I talk about. But if there's a widespread report, the government will always come out like they did in Roswell and say, yeah, it's a weather balloon. It was a military exercise for a new ship or whatever. So this happened in Phoenix, Arizona in 1997. So this area of Superstition Mountains where we have reports of ghosts, cryptids, there was a mass murder apparently from Apaches over gold and copper. Um, there's lizard-like creatures. There's portals opening up. Superstition Mountains in Arizona is a terrain that is highly, highly paranormal. There uh, was reports that the Indians believed that that area had high electromagnetic fields, which is actually a type of tool that paranormal investigators use to actually see if ghosts are around because the report is that paranormal uh, activities happen when the EMF meter spikes, letting people know that there is something around or something is about to happen. Now, obviously, Arizona is desert. There's not a lot of greenery. There's just, you know, uh, shrubs and common uh, greenery that grows in the desert. But it's an open plain and there's no electricity. And I believe there's a law there that that ground is kind of uh, state or something um, preserved where you can't even drive your car into that area. The people that go to do work in the park, uh, I don't know if it's a national park, state park, whatever, maybe getting the, the mixed up, but... They're not allowed to drive vehicles there, and if they use any kind of tools within that area of Superstition Mountain, it has to be hand tools, not even electric. So they take great pride in keeping anything modern away from that area. So the Indians believe there, the um, Apache, that the area had EMF so high, and that was part of the reason why a lot of paranormal things happened to uh, happened in that area. So Superstition Mountains is a terrain that has so much activity, widespread activity. People go missing. There are reports of people's heads being found, bones, not just animal bones, but human bones. And a lot of people to this day still think that there are gold and copper to be found there and go there. This person on the YouTube page, Paranormal Files, the trail guide, uh, again, I only think I know his name was Corey. Um, if you watch the video, you can get his last name. He actually said, and he's a professional trail guide, that he refuses to go on that trail alone, especially at night. Um, he actually says that he's hiked that trail so many times before that there's no ambition for him to go back there. But there's so much activity at this particular location and strange things that he just doesn't want to go by himself. And he's a basically like the Bear Grylls of Phoenix, Arizona Superstition Mountains, this particular guy. Again, if you watch the video, you can see that he knows what he's talking about. Um, the group for Paranormal Files on YouTube uh, actually started the documentary, 30 minutes long, uh, with him showing a um, some type of cactus that you can eat in the desert. And then he went into telling about Superstition Mountains. So that's actually the first uh, paranormal terrain that I spoke of on this uh, episode. Um, very interesting stuff. That's, again, the idea I got to speak about it is from the Paranormal Files on YouTube. I give them all the credit for the idea to talk about it. Um, I would check out their page 
on YouTube and find that video and watch it so you guys can learn a little bit more and a better description from how I said it um, from the guy Corey they recorded on their YouTube page. The next person or next idea that I'm going to get into, I touched on John Ballin. Um, he made a video story that's about 22 minutes long um, describing his experience when he got deployed to Afghanistan. And he starts off by saying that when he was deployed in Afghanistan and he was in the mountain areas and he landed there, that he was taken back by the beauty of Afghanistan. Now, as we know, Afghanistan is a war-stricken area. And even the people that live there that are native to Afghanistan can't really explore because if they venture too far from their, I guess, safe town or safe zone, they would have a terrorist group or um, group of people try to kill them and take them hostage. So Afghanistan is safe to say is yet to be ex on a, you know, explored fully. And this guy was saying that when he was adventuring on recon missions or whatever, John Allen, John Ballen, that there was cave systems in the mountains that, you know, he was like, anybody can be in here watching us, ready to ambush us or what have you. And he actually had a story that he told about a unit that had went missing, um, that they just vanished. They were on some kind of mission. And they went MIA. And the Green Berets, and this is from John Ballon, a story he told. The Green Berets were called in. Now, I have to tell you ahead of time that there was a disclosure signed after this mission uh, that John Ballon described on his YouTube page. That the people, the Green Berets that were called in to look for this group that went missing had a, uh, signed disclosures at the end. And I'll get into why. But someone did come out to tell him the story. And he basically retold the story, like I'm going to say here. Uh, so the Green Berets were called in to find this unit. The Green Berets and Intel found it very um, troubling that the unit that went MIA did not call in a TIC, which stands for short. It's an acronym for Troops in Contact. So it's common for, as per John Ballon, it's common for troops that are on missions recon or whatever other missions they have that if they come in contact or see people that they're going to come in contact with that are not friendly they call in this thing called a tick troops in contact so that the base that they came from is aware that they're going to need reinforcements or air, air um, support or what have you that unit that disappeared the green berets were looking for um, did not call in a tick and they vanished so the Green Berets patrolled the mountain area and were looking for these, this missing unit at their last, last known location. And they came up to a ledge where it was a perfect vantage point for something to happen. And they used precaution walking up to the mountain area. And when they got to the top, they found pieces of clothing that were United States military clothing, pieces of radio shells, uh, equipment that military for the United States would carry. They also found bones. So now the Green Berets took a defensive position and knew that this was probably where this unit was ambushed and eventually went, dis you know, they disappeared. And they also came across a landing. So the, this, they were going up a hill, as described by John Ballin, and came to a flat surface with cave entrances. And the cave entrance, there was multiple of them. They started looking into it. And as per the Green Berets that relayed the story to John Ballin, some of the caves had a drop-off and they deemed it too dangerous to look for anything else 
or keep on searching because they didn't know how far the drop-off was in the cave. Eventually, one of the Green Berets uh, shined their light and saw eyes looking at him. And when he kind of swayed his gun to look at it again, he didn't. He basically lost sight of it for a second. And all of a sudden, a spear came out and hit one of the Green Berets, killing him. And they didn't see what threw it, but the spear came out of a cave and hit as the Green Beret uh, codenamed the fallen teammate, uh, Dan. This guy, Dan, killed him. And this massive 12-foot being, bipedal being, came out of the cave with a long red beard in animal fur of some, some type and ran towards Don, uh, Dan's body on the floor with the spear impaled into him to try to retrieve the spear and use it on them. Obviously, the Green Berets lit this thing up and they killed the giant and Dan was DOA. He was dead. Um, it was described that they called in helicopters to evac Dan's body and to pick up the giant, which laid, weighed over 1,100 pounds. And after the debriefing, when they got back, they were told to do an after-action report. The report was deemed too crazy, and they were asked to do the report over, which when they did the report over, the report came back as if it was a normal Afghanistan engagement with the military troops, and they never heard anything about it. This person that told John Ballon the story, his codename was Mr. K. Obviously, he's breaking a signed agreement not to speak about it and told him everything that happened. And to this day, they don't know what happened to the body that was picked up from the helicopter, the second helicopter. One helicopter picked up the body of the deceased military uh, member and the other helicopter picked up this 1,100-pound giant with six fingers and six toes and with red hair and red beard. They don't know what happened to the Giants. They don't know what happened to um, the report, why it wasn't uh, put out there more. But they were left in limbo about what happened. Apparently, this guy, Mr. K, spoke to John Ballon about the whole ordeal and were left trying to believe whether this was true or false. Fact of the matter is, in the Bible, there are stories about Giants. So if you are Catholic, Christian, and you believe in the Bible, there are reports and stories of Giants and there was giants before the flood of Noah's Ark, and there was giants uh, mentioned after. And, you know, if you remember the story of David and Goliath, well, he got killed with a slingshot, this giant. David killed him, killed Goliath. Um, there are reports of giants, and there are some Catholics. I have a friend that talks to me about this story in particular that believes these giants were banished and could possibly be roaming around Earth to this day. There has been archaeological digs where bones were recovered and the size of the bones were massive and they were not labeled as animal bones. They were labeled as massive human bones. So in Afghanistan, an area that is war-stricken, there is a high probability that there are undiscovered creatures or areas of Afghanistan. And if you're some kind of gigantic cryptid with a red beard and 12 feet tall and extra limbs on your hands and feet, that is the perfect hiding place for you to hide in the caves and desert of Afghanistan. And not to mention, I'm going to get slightly morbid, slightly science fiction here, but if you have these Afghani troops in the mountains and they're using the caves as cover and they're up there, you know, plotting on whatever when military comes by to do a, uh, an ambush or whatever, who's to say this giant's just not plucking these people and eating them or doing whatever giants do, you know? This unit that the Green Berets went after was a military from the United States group or platoon that went missing and no one knows what happened. Matter of fact, the 
story that Mr. K told John Ballin and John Ballin portrayed on his YouTube page with an elaborate story the way he tells stories. No one knows what happened to the giant that was supposedly taken back to the base. No one has spoken about it and it was classified. So no one knows what happened or what the info is on this ordeal. All we can know or do is listen to the story that Mr. K told John Ballin and we are lucky enough to hear. I do believe that if you Google um, Kandahar, Afghanistan or the giant of Kandahar as Mr. Ballin has it on his YouTube page, a story might pop up. But this story seems pretty elaborate. And when you're talking to ex-military, unless they went completely off their rocker from combat, this is an elaborate story to tell. You know, I would if I'm going to tell a story and I'm ex-military, I'm going to tell it how it is. Um, I'm not going to make up something like a giant came and killed one of my, you know, my brothers in arms. You know, and this is what this guy, uh, Mr. K, told John Ballin that a spear came out from a cave and killed one of his brothers in arms. And this was Kandahar Mountains, Afghanistan, told by John Ballin. He gave me the idea to speak about Afghanistan. Uh, so Afghanistan is a haunted terrain. And I actually came up with something that I've known about that I wanted to tell you. This is from my knowledge, not a idea that I got from two other YouTube pages that I highly recommend everybody give a look-see. I'm going to butcher this very much so. Aokiara. Aoki Gara, which is the Sea of Trees, which is near Mount Fuji in Japan. I have seen this episode on many paranormal uh, shows. It's an area that is near Mount Fuji that is a haunted forest. It is about uh, 12 miles long, and the forest has a reputation as the home of the ghost called the Yuri, which is the ghost of the dead. Aokiara is now become the ghost of the dead area and is also a place where people now still go to try to end their life. Unfortunately, it is a very it's an area that has high suicide. Um, I'm actually going to read you a little bit from sunagajapan.com and it is a report on what is Okiara all about and why is it the most haunted forest in Japan. Um, so here we go. Known as the most famous forest in Japan, Aokiara is located at the northwest base of the country's highest mountain in Mount Fuji. Due to its high density of trees, Aokiara is also known as Jukai, which simply means a sea of trees. The tree coverage is so thick that every that, that even at noon, you will hardly find any light in the forest. Aokiara is also known as the Japan's demon forest, the suicide forest. The perfect place to die. The unique forest, which is very quiet with hardly any wildlife, has turned into a common spot amongst the Japanese to end their life. And because of the silence, where you can hardly hear birds singing, many Japanese believe the forest is haunted and dare not go nearby. The forest is cold, rocky, and contains 200 caves in which few, such as ice caves and wind caves, have been popular among tourists. Suicide Forest, the locals who live near Aokiara, said that they could easily identify three types of visitors who head to this infamous forest, the trekkers, the curious, and those that are planning never to return. It all started with a mystery novel called Kyori Jokai, translated as The Black Sea of Trees by Sechu Matsumaro 
1960, the novel ends romantically with the lovers committing suicide in the forest, which revitalized the suicide forest popularity amongst those who wanted to end their life. One could blame the dramatic ending, but the suicide history of Eogiara started way, way before, as many hanged themselves on the trees in the thick forest. Watua Tumoria, oh my god, that's a tough name to pronounce, Tusurmui, controversial 1993 bestseller, this is an author, butchered his name, The Complete Suicide Manual is a book that describes various modes of suicide and even recommends Aokiara as the perfect place to die. Apparently, the book did not do too well with basically a handbook to do suicide, so the books were actually taken off the shelves. Local police stopped publishing numbers of the suicide manual that took place in Iokiara, a way to downplay its popularity among those who seek to commit suicide. Also, a way to encourage more tourism is an amazing forest. So they took away the book, basically, and tried to push the forest uh, as in a good note, not to go there to kill yourself. The last data released was back in 2003, where 105 confirmed suicides were registered. It is believed that the number could be more as many corpses in the forest are never found. In 2010, police record records show that 247 people attempted to commit suicide in the forest, but only 54 of them succeeded. As local authorities have put up suicide prevention signs at the forest entrance, the signs read, Your life, sometime, something precious that was given to you by your parents. Think about your parents, siblings, and children once more. Do not be troubled alone. The signs ends with a helpline telephone number. It is hard to make a profile of the average profile of who commits suicide in the forest, but there are usually males between 40 and 50 years old. And the biggest month for suicides is March, possibly because March in the end of the physical year in Japan. So many people come from all over Japan to end their stressful lives here. They feel that it's a perfect location in which they need to have their last breath. The haunted legend in Japanese mythology, the Aokiara is known to be the haunted area by demons reason some Japanese are still afraid to enter the forest. This could be true, as even nowadays many trekkers can easily lose their way in the dense forest. Furthermore, due to the magnetic, ionic, volcanic soil, it is said that compasses and other devices do not work. Another reason why people believe the forest is haunted is due to the yuri, or souls filled with hatred, sadness, and desire for revenge. According to the legend, people bring their family members during famine to the forest and leave them there to die in order to save their food or for other family members. Those left in the forest would slowly die due to starvation, turning them into this demon called the Yuri. In Japanese popular belief, a person dies in a deep sense of hatred, anger, sadness, or desire of revenge. Their soul can't leave the world and continues to wander in the forest. So basically, there is major, major legends in the Japanese forest, uh, suicide forest, of this Yuri demon being in there. And if you remember on a previous episode, which actually was my last episode, the Cecil Hotel, I spoke about the hotel being such a dark place that it called people to them even if you weren't in the area. The Cecil Hotel did that with a rocker. It did it with uh, Elisa Lamb. It did it to a couple other people who ultimately have had bad experiences there. So I do believe that certain places are so dark and so haunted, especially with people going to a particular area to kill themselves and commit suicide, that areas have this dark energy and it's just easy to stumble upon it or find yourself going there and then be in that area and just maybe never come out. Um, Samurai, I like to add, 
would commit the art of seppuku, this, this uh, basically killing oneself, rather than being taken into um, enemy's hands. And that's an art that samurai would do. Obviously, samurai were heavy in Japan. And that's something that they would do, um, which basically coincides with the forest. I've heard many stories of uh, suicide forest Mount Fuji. And um, I honest, I actually believe um, Jake Paul, if I'm getting the name correctly, a YouTuber. He's, you know, I guess he, I think he's one of the guys that boxes uh, on, you know, all these pay-per-view events. He beat up Nate, uh, Nate Robinson. I, I don't know if it's the same person, but there is a particular guy who had went to this area in Japan and had filmed the man hanging from the tree. And he got a very, very large backlash um, about it. And he had went there. Um, A lot of people go there to sightsee because there is this mysterious beauty to it. But ultimately, Suicide Forest in Mount Fuji is just an area of just despair, darkness, and it's just sad. And um, there are regularly search parties that go to this forest to look for people that go in there. Um, that never come out. It's a terrain that is eerie. It's covered in forest. There's no light that goes in. You can't hear birds chirping. There's not a lot of wildlife um, that is, you know, in there to make noise. Um, There's cave systems. There's just, it's just a eerie place. And with all this suicide and all these Japanese legend of the Yuri in that forest, it's a very paranormal terrain in Japan. And I've heard many stories about it. And also um, a lot of stories about people going to this particular area. Why they go to a forest to do this and take their life is beyond me. Um, you know, in Japan, that's that's the spot to go to if you want to do that, which is it's very sad. Um, again, on the Cecil Hotel episode, hotels is a place where people decide to go. Um, bridges, rooftops, what have you. Um, and in Japan, Suicide Forest is not only a location that has a backstory to this Yuri legend of demons, but is also a particular place where the darkness consumes people and they go there and they ultimately take their life. Or some people travel through there and just don't come out because the forest is just that vast and that dark and just that um, treacherous of a terrain. Um, Because I spoke about suicide um, just now, again, on another episode, I don't like talking about it, but because it was mentioned, which is common and paranormal, I would like to give the suicide prevention number, which is 1-800-273-TALK, and the website is www.suicidepreventionlifeline.org. So those are three terrains that I spoke about that are haunted. Um, terrains can be haunted. There are a lot of places in the United States and around the world that people say, I will not go there because it is scary. It is haunted. It just gives me a bad vibe. So we spoke about Aokiara um, in Japan, Mount Fuji, Kandahar Mountain in um, Afghanistan, and the Superstition Mountains in Phoenix, Arizona, which also Phoenix, Arizona had the Phoenix Lights, which you can Google and you will read a full report on those UFO sightings. Um, so those were three terrains paranormal terrains that I gave you guys and there's more and there will be other episodes about more terrains and more different things in regards to terrains and paranormal but those are three particular ones that I gave you two of which I have to give credit once again the uh, Kandahar mountain episode um, idea is an episode I watched from Mr. Ballin, John Ballin, ex-Navy SEAL, does a great job on his YouTube channel telling stories. I actually wrote to him on Twitter to let him know that um, I've been mentioning him on my podcast episode. Um, 
he does a great job. So if you listen to this podcast and you like paranormal, definitely find your way over to his YouTube page and watch his videos. Very good stuff. And the other YouTube page, Paranormal Files. I believe it's uh, I I believe a boyfriend, girlfriend, and another individual. Um, it's a small group in Texas, and they do a lot of investigations within Texas. But this particular episode that I watched on their page was about the Phoenix, Arizona Superstition Mountains, and they interviewed a trail guide who was very knowledgeable about what goes on there and the history. And their page is definitely worth a viewing if you're into the paranormal. So this has been another episode of Say What Again, Billy. I am on Twitter at Swab, S-W-A-B underscore podcast. And I have changed my Instagram name to match the Twitter page name. It is also Swab, S-W-A-B underscore podcast. You can check out my Twitter and Instagram, comment, uh, tweet me, and find information when I'm posting new episodes and what I'm talking about. Any news in the paranormal, I will put there on Instagram and Twitter. And until next time, I like to also sorry, I like to also thank uh, Anchor app for giving me the opportunity to do this podcast. And now, until next time, this has been another episode of Say What Again, Billy podcast. Uh-huh.